we're back. It's Series 3, Episode 1 of the Overboard Podcast. What is the future of the cruise ship? We visit Palmer in our new feature, Two Days, One City, with David Parker. Well, not quite a, a naughty word, but certainly something that you don't want to hear. If you're driving along in your hire car or you one of those tourists that's walking along the street and they stop and take photos. And why would you have a tattoo of your own face on your own body? Plus all the regular features. Did you see the further adventures of Cornflake, anger management, etymology corner and more? Welcome to Series 3, Episode 1 of the Overboard Podcast, the inside scoop into the world of travel, tourism and entertainment. And we like to keep it simple, so no overthinking and no advertisements. And I'm delighted to say, joining me on this series, live from Liverpool, it's Benjamin Cliff. Hello, David. We're back. How are you? We're back. Have you missed me? I've, of course I've missed you. I always miss you. Back for Season 3. Did you ever think we'd make Season 3? I didn't think we'd make episode three. To be <laughs> no, nor did season I. Season one, but but I'm very happy. It's uh, it's been it's been quite a success so far. What have you been up to over the last five weeks? Oh, I went to England to see the Queen, and uh, she she wasn't interested, so I had to see my family. Uh, but I took the long drive over to uh, England from Hungary, which takes around 16 hours right, yeah. in total. Wow. Um, saw some friends, our old mate Tell. I went up to see Tell. Apart from that, spend a lot of time with uh, my youngest daughter, because uh, Zoe's been at school, but uh, Kiki, I really enjoy playing with her. This is the longest I've spent with any of my uh, children. As you know, I've got three daughters, and this is the longest I think I've ever spent where I haven't had to work. Yeah, lovely. Yourself, what have you been up to? Uh, not a lot, to be honest with you, David. Well, Lily's back at school, a little bit like Zoe. And, uh, yeah, I've spent the time with the boy uh, doing a little bit of work on the old Indian tapas restaurant, which I'm sure that we'll talk barges, about. Barges and breasts. Barges and breasts. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. Uh, let's start with a poll, then. We have a new poll for the new season. Facebook page, What to Do on Your Cruise. In association with them, this week's poll is with Christmas time approaching, and this being a traditional time to travel to people, uh, currently, what do you plan to do? Is it A, travel home to be with family despite restrictions? B, I will travel somewhere relatively COVID-free for a Christmas break? C, I'm going nowhere till this is over? Or D, everyone is welcome to come to my house for Christmas? What are you doing for Christmas? We're going to have to see what the government restrictions are, but uh, we're probably just going to be staying at home, I think. Uh, we were going to go away, but... Like you say, it's so much hassle, isn't it? Now, David, um, at the end of uh, season two, uh, we we said that we were going to knock uh, on the head the further adventures of Cornflake. Now, this caused a little bit of a ripple because a lot of people wrote to us, uh, texted us, emailed us, phoned us to say, do not get rid of Cornflake's adventures. For that lucky listener, we're keeping it, yes. Yes, absolutely. So <laughs> would you like to hear the first clue in this evening's further adventures of Cornflake? Of course. The Further Adventures of Cornflake. That's right, dear listener. It is, of course, the return of the Further Adventures of Cornflake. Now, if you're new to the podcast, then this is the section of the show where David and I send our imaginary cat, Cornflake, somewhere around the globe. We give you clues to the mystery destination that Cornflake has landed in, and all you need to do is to decipher these clues, dear listener. And then, uh, if you get it right, give yourselves a giant pat on the back. So here we go then. Four clues in total, as always. And this is clue 
Number one. Walking to tonight's mystery destination from London at an average speed of three miles per hour would take 2,501 hours. From Amsterdam, 2,458 hours. And from Frankfurt, 2,428 hours. Once you arrive, you'd be greeted by a population that have an average life expectancy of 87.3 years. Where in the world is Cornflake this evening? You are listening to The Overboard Podcast with David and Ben. Benjamin, now it's time for our weekly feature called Did You See? This is where we take a look at the more wacky and obscure headlines of the week's news. Did you see, Benjamin, in the Sun newspaper, which we all despise, by the way, there was a story about the new um, defensive midfielder, football star from Ghana. He's called Thomas Partey, signed for Arsenal for £45 million pounds, which is ridiculous, uh, but he has a tattoo of his face on his right arm. Now, apparently he says this is there to remind him to take responsibility. He said, I believe everyone on earth is a god. I am a god to myself, so it's important I take all my own decisions and make everything work for me in my way. Now, what do you think about this? Well, if he wants to take responsibility, why doesn't he just look in the mirror? Why does he have to have a tattoo on his arm? Have you noticed that nearly all footballers have lots of tattoos nowadays? Well, do you want to know why that is? The majority of football players, if they weren't football players, would be in jail. Absolutely ridiculous. Well, no, it's not ridiculous. Okay, tell me. You know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. Stereotyping. Yes, because if they have tattoos, you'll think they're thugs. No, I don't think they're thugs, but why do they have tattoos then? Because it's art. It's art. It's like displaying a piece of art. Why not put it on your skin? I mean, they all they, they all see each other's bodies all the time in the changing rooms, and maybe maybe the ones without tattoos feel a bit left out. Do you think psychologically it makes them look harder? Like I'm hard. I've got a tattoo. Come on, son. You try and tackle me I and I'll give you this tattoo. It says here on my knuckles, mum and dad. It doesn't, does it? It doesn't because if they all have tattoos, it sort of cancels it out. I think historically having tattoos is regarded as, yeah, being an aggressive type person. Right, OK. So now you're stereotyping people. You're saying everybody that's got a tattoo is aggressive. I said, his, I said historically mm. it was regarded. I didn't say this is my opinion. Have you ever thought about getting a tattoo? Me? Don't be ridiculous. Can you imagine me with a tattoo? I'd look so... Sh- Where would I put it, for starters? I wouldn't put it on my arms because they're like chipolatas, so that's never going to work because it would look stupid. I wouldn't have it on my face because you have to be insane. I wouldn't have it on my leg, would I? No, no, I wouldn't. I see a lot of ladies with tattoos and I actually think they look lovely and I think wow that really suits you but I get worried for them Dave because what happens when they get to like 76 and it's all droopy no one's going to be looking at them if you work in the public eye then clearly you cannot have tattoos that are visible on your face and neck and things or even in your arms Mm. but if you have a tattoo in a private place what does it matter to anybody else I know Dave but I worry what do you think about these people that get the name of their girlfriend or boyfriend tattooed on them and then they have to cross it out and replace it with someone else or whatever and the list just goes on if you had that done if you'd have started with your first ever girlfriend with their name on the top of your chest i'd I'd have run out of space by now (laughs) i was gonna say that's what i'm saying yours would have looked like an an alphabet of girls names that's what it would have been like y'all listening to the overboard podcast with david and ben they talk funny and they are funny did you see, Benjamin? Uh, diners have rushed to pay up to £360 per head 
to eat a meal on a stationary plane in the latest sign of public appetite to recreate the onboard experience without travelling. Did you see this? I didn't, no. Singapore Airlines launched a waiting list after tickets rapidly sold out for two weekends of sittings on board two stationary A380 Super Jumbos with meals at seats and a chance to watch a movie, albeit no longer in flight. Now, guests will get a meal from the standard Singapore Airlines menu uh, with 360 quid buying the full works in a suite or £30 per head for the tray in economy. What do you think of this? I mean, airline food's not renowned for being particularly nice, is it? Especially if they serve it on the tray in economy. I mean, it's just a horrible experience all round, isn't it, with a plastic fork? I really don't enjoy eating on a plane anyway. You're no. always... I mean, there's no room to move your bloody elbows or anything, is there? No, no. If you could recreate something that's missing due to the pandemic, what, what would you recreate that you can't do at the moment? Uh, probably going to watch a gig, going to see some live music. I think a lot of people are missing that, if I'm honest with you. And I don't know... Can you see when that will come back? I mean, I don't even know how that could come back. What about these? What about these? Um, what do you call it? These social distance gigs where you roll up in your car, mate, and you're given a, I don't know, a four meter square pitch that you're not allowed to leave, and you drive your car up, you get out, and you have a picnic and stuff, and then the band's on the stage, two hundred miles away, and you watch them like that. Do you like them? I mean, I'm surprised that they haven't done a big like Live Aid thing, you know, like mm. a big charity concert where they get a massive area mm. and they have some huge bands and they just allow so many thousands of cars in that spaced out with screens everywhere i'm surprised no one's done a big charity event like that if they were going to recreate live aid yeah. for instance mm. who who would be the top of the bill now say who would be the top five bands in the world as we stand okay who would be invited first right okay great great question i would say the killers i would suggest that they would try to get the rolling stones have ed sheeran dua lipa she's very big at the moment isn't she katie perry beyonce i mean the list goes on doesn't it isn't that interesting though because in 1985 it would it would be obvious who the top 20 acts mm. in the world were yeah but now it really isn't is it no not at all did you see benjamin a Thai island hotel will go into mediation with an American guest who faces up to five years in jail after it filed a criminal complaint against him over negative online reviews. Did you see this? Yeah, I did. Police said that the hotel filed a complaint in August after the guest posted what the hotel described as false and defamatory reviews on TripAdvisor and Google after a row over a 500 but that's $16, corkage fee. Under Thailand's Criminal Defamation and Computer Crimes Act, he could be fined up to $3,200 as well as facing jail time. Now, this is an interesting one, isn't it? That you leave a, a hotel or a place where you pay to stay mm. and you can leave a review that the, the hotel then says is incorrect and you can be fined for it. Well, it's a little harsh, isn't it? Surely you should be able to leave an honest review. I mean, we don't know all the facts, do we? Maybe maybe the hotel are right. The reason I included this story was because we have worked in, in various guises doing different things where people leave reviews or they write comments and mm. what have you. And it's so frustrating when the people just lie. You're right. Thinking about some of the reviews that we've had in the positions that we've been in, um, that have you know, they make your blood boil, don't they? What's the worst review you've ever had? Oh, I've had some, I've had some bad ones. My first ever cruise. Ben's a really nice bloke, but what a shame we didn't have a European program director. Well, 
They're correct, aren't they, now with Brexit? <laughs> well, no, but that made me laugh because I was thinking, right, OK, that's fair enough. This is the favourite one that we get, isn't it, David? When you're rejoining the ship and the outgoing programme director is there in the, in the reception or wherever it may be, and they see you having a chat and then a guest comes up and they go, ah, you must be Ben. Yeah, that's right, I am, sir, yes. You're taking over from him, aren't you? Yes, sir, I am. Well, I wouldn't like to be in your shoes because the job that he has done, nobody can do the job like him. Awesome, well, you're very lucky because I'm rubbish. Yeah, but that is the and one that I gets me. Away smiling. I wanted to ask you, do you think that written reviews are cowardly, especially if they're anonymous? Yes, they are cowardly. It's much better that somebody comes up to you and approaches you and tells you to your face what they're not happy with than writing it down. Because when they write it down, it seems 300 times worse. And also, it reflects yeah. badly on you to the company. The reason I ask this is because I'm, I'm really talking about Twitter. Should social media accounts be allowed to be anonymous? No, not at all. They should... I, it's, it's ludicrous that people can post things anonymously. A social media account should be as regulated as a bank account, Dave. That's as simple as that. And you should have to send in copies of your passport or whatever, and there should be a photo of you on there. That has to be. All of those things have to be in line. And then that would stop online bullying and trolling and stuff like that, wouldn't it? You are listening to the Overboard podcast with David and Ben. Did you see, Benjamin? A trolley-like robot is delivering food to customers at a restaurant in Seoul in order to minimise human contact and help ensure social distancing. Did you see this? Mm. You, you order your food on the touchpad and it brings it to you. Now, obviously, this has been developed to ensure social distancing, but the robot can deliver food up to four tables at once and it's equipped with food trays which can carry up to 30 kilos and an LCD screen and speaker that communicate in both Korean and English. Mm. I was thinking, what would be the benefits of not having a human waiter? Bad breath. The, the robot can't smell your bad breath? No, the other way around, you fool. The waiter might have bad breath, body odour. You might not like them. They might be hideously ugly. They might wear something that's offensive to you. I don't think there are, are any benefits of not having a human waiter. Well, there are. But there aren't. What are there then? When I'm sitting with guests on a ship, mm. uh, so in a work environment, when you have to host a table, for instance, I can guarantee you that if I'm telling a story and I'm just getting to the punchline, the waiter will say, is everything OK here? It's so annoying. I know it's they're just doing their job, but it always happens just as I'm getting to the punchline. Wait, wait a minute. There is another thing which will benefit you, mm. especially you. Mm. No tips. <laughs> Listen, uh, well, that's very true. Another thing, if you're there with a with your wife, for instance, um, and, and the waitress is particularly attractive, they can't get jealous of a robot, can they? Or vice versa, if it's a man. No, this is ridiculous. You're just coming up with ridiculous things now. Interrupting your stories, oh, not having to tip it, and whether say, or not they're good looking. You say it's ridiculous. Look. Oh, absolutely. These are the benefits of not having a human waiter. Okay. Or waitress. Yeah. What about, though, the personal interaction? People buy people, Dave. So there's a number of times that I've been to a restaurant where I've thought, you know what, that waiter has been absolutely superb and has made me want to go back because of the interaction that we've had, because they've made my kids feel special or my wife feel special or me feel special with their customer service. How many times have you been there and you've thought that the waiter is like, oh, just so annoying because they won't... Because I'm, I'm, I'm quite a friendly person. I like to talk to people. If the waiter just doesn't want to talk to me and just wants to get on with the job, I, I, I actually feel offended. Well, you think you're going to get more out of a robot? No, I don't expect it from a robot. Have you heard this one about my mother-in-law, robot? 
What I worry about robots is, Dave, is that they are, they are going to take out all that personal interaction, those touch points that you get with other humans. This is, this is the world that we're heading into, and it worries me. If this is going to be the future COVID of our lives, is it really worth living? God, you're cheerful today. <laughs> what would you like to see robotized? Um, I'd like to see robots fill up my car with petrol so I don't have to get out at a petrol oh, station. Good, very good one. Mm. Good one. I like yeah. that. The other thing as well, Dave, is just talking about cars. What do you think about these cars that are essentially driven by computers or robots, if you want to call them? Oh. Yeah, absolutely. Imagine you you just get in your car and you just program it in and they're like, and it's like Knight Rider. So every car's like Kit, you know, hello, Ben, how are you today? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Where would you like to go? Can you take me to Bargies and Breasts? No problem at all, sir. Would you trust it, though? I mean, are you a nervous well, the only way it passenger? Can... No, not at all. Well, I am when my wife drives because she's the worst driver I've ever been in a car oh, with. She's the only person she? I know who accelerates going into a traffic light, a stoplight or a, a brake light. Like, the cars will be braking. There'll be, like, 15 cars ahead, and they're all braking. They're slowing down, and my wife's still accelerating. And at the last minute, she'll go, oh, there's the brake. I'm nervous when, when Ali drives, very nervous indeed. Um, but apart from that, no, I'm not really a nervous passenger. Did you see, Benjamin, something on the future of cruise ships as Royal Caribbean prepares to offer a series of cruises from Singapore aboard Quantum of the Seas on December the 1st? The line is assuring customers that their health and safety is at its top priority. Uh, this is not a comprehensive list, but just a few bits that I've picked out. Every guest and crew member will be required to post a negative test prior to boarding, and Royal Caribbean will cover the cost of tests. Onboard health will be monitored through daily temperature checks, the use of rapid testing capabilities and complementary in-stateroom medical evaluations whenever needed. Uh, they have said that their HVAC system on its ships continuously supply 100% fresh filtered air from outdoors to all indoor spaces. When it sails from Singapore, Quantum of the Seas will carry no more than 50% of its normal capacity of 4,000 ever guests tests positive while on board, Royal Caribbean will provide a 100% refund of the price of the cruise for that individual and their travel party. It's, it's all the stuff that we spoke about in Series 1 and Series 2, Dave. We're, they're just implementing everything that we've discussed and hoping that it works. And if it works, it's fantastic. It's good, though. It's great that it's starting again. The problem is that, you know, people can go and pick up COVID in a restaurant or in a pub or down in the park or wherever they're going to get it from, and it's just another stat in the number of people that have got it. The moment that you get it on board a cruise ship, it's headline news and it sets back the industry again and again and again so at some point dave let's just get out there wear a mask sanitize your hands and try to maintain some social distance and get on with life um i was thinking it might come to the point where you, it's just an accepted part yes of certain aspects of life if the company takes every precaution that it can and is not you know held accountable in any way then it's just part of, of travelling now. There's a lady in the UK, uh, I think her name's Maureen, 83, from Barnsley, yeah. stopped on the street, somebody interviewing her, and she spoke more sense in that two and a half minutes that she had a Fox Pop than anybody has in this country for the entire time. Uh, I think it's all ridiculous. We should never have been in lockdown. All the people who are vulnerable should have been helped and kept on safe. And all the rest of us, I'm 83, I don't give a sod. I look at it this way. I've not got all that many years left of me and I'm not going to be fastened in a house when the government have got it all wrong. We need... How can we get the country on its feet, money-wise? Where's all the money? By the end of this year, there's going to be millions of people unemployed and you know who's going to pay for it? All the young ones. Not me, because I'm going to be dead. As she said, 
Why are you worrying about me? I'm going to be dead soon anyway. Get on with your lives. The young people are going to suffer with this virus financially, emotionally and mentally. All for what? For nothing. The average age of the deaths in the UK is 82. The average lifespan is 81, David. How do you work that out? This is just crazy. Mm. Benjamin, did you see uh, the on Amazon Prime there is the Borat 2 movie? Yes. Have you seen I it? I haven't watched it yet, but I am going to. It's terrible. I couldn't finish it. It was that bad. Talking of Borat, Kazakhstan, the home country of the fictional character Borat, has adapted the brash, mustachioed character's catchphrase, very nice, for a new tourism campaign. Uh, here is the catchphrase. Wow, wow, is very nice. Yeah, I saw the, um, the promotional video. It's very good, actually. They have all these lovely images of mountains or he's trying something out and they're going... It's very nice. <laughs> it's quite, it's quite, it's very cool. Have a look. Have I will a look have a look. You. Did you see that banks are now handing out these little things? They're called finger doms to protect your fingers when using ATMs. They're basically like small condoms, mm. and you, they hand them to you. You put them on your fingers so that you don't get any infection on your fingers when you're using the ATM. That's amazing. Can they only be used to punch out the numbers, or can they be used for other things? If they're a... well, they're very, they're very, they're very small. Are they? Would they get stuck somewhere? I don't think you'll get your old man inside. <laughs> What's my dad going to hit one of them for? Talking of Jeff, uh, <laughs> did you see that Jeffrey Tubin, CNN's chief legal analyst and renowned reporter for The New Yorker, has been sidelined at a pivotal moment in the run-up to the presidential election. He exposed himself during a Zoom call with colleagues in what he says was an accident. Now, a spokesman for CNN said Jeff Tubin has asked for some time off while he deals with a personal issue. Did you see this story? No, I, I can't say I did. He was on a Zoom call uh, with some colleagues in a meeting. Right. Um, and he thought that he'd muted or turned the camera off. Right. And then he took another call. And while he was on the other call, when he was still on that call, he exposed himself and started, um, you know, pleasing himself, let's say. Um, and obviously everybody in the Zoom meeting could see what he was doing. I did not see this story, no. So basically... Yeah, have a look at it, it's fantastic. Well, I don't want to see the footage. <laughs> the man is 60. Right, well... well which made me think, well, I, I still hope yeah, I'm doing absolutely. that when I'm 60. Not in front of people on a no, Zoom meeting, but, you know. The Bar Adventures of Cornflake. OK, then, clue number two in this evening's Further Adventures of Cornflake. Finished in 1958, the city's main communication tower is 78 years younger than the Eiffel Tower, the tower that inspired its design. Although the tower is 13 metres higher than the Eiffel Tower, the modern materials used in its construction make it half of the Eiffel Tower's weight. Where is Cornflake this evening? Now we come to a new segment. Our dear presenter, Benjamin Clift, is soon to uh, open his uh, Indian tapas restaurant slash bar. And the new item is called Bargies and Breasts. I'm very much looking forward to it. Curry on, Cliff. Curry on, Cliff. Thank you, David. Well, what we thought we'd do, every so often throughout Series 3, I will talk you through a recipe that you can cook at home. And this is a very simple one. And we're actually going to do something now, um, which is a crossover between Indian food and Chinese food. And you can make this at home. It's very simple. You don't need many ingredients. And I can assure you... This is absolutely delicious. And this week, we are going to cook an Indo-Chinese sweet and sour chicken, David. You like the sound of that? Sounds lovely. Yeah, OK. So uh, we'll go through the recipe. Uh, we'll put the recipe up as well. Now, what I will say about this, Dave, is that 
these recipes that I have taken and developed, I've used a number of different sources. So I've bastardized this recipe from various different cookbooks. And there are some amazing cookbooks out there. Uh, and if you really want a good one, if you go to the Curry Easy, the Curry Easy Guide uh, is a very, very good book to take. You are going to require, David, some uh, one kilogram of boneless and skinless chicken thighs, okay? And what you'll do with them is you'll cut them into small little bite-sized pieces, just slightly larger than normal bite-sized pieces, I would say. You'll also need some garlic salt, some amanchi powder, which is like a lime powder, some cornflour oil, sugar vinegar, red chilli hot sauce, ketchup, dark soy sauce, orange juice, salt and black pepper. They're the ingredients that you require. Now, to make this little delight, what you'll need to do is to preheat the oven to 175 Celsius, and then you're going to line a baking tray with tin foil. Very simple. Then you get your chicken pieces and simply sprinkle them with with garlic salt to taste and the amanchi powder and then you set them aside for 10 minutes to rest now as you're doing this heat about four centimeters of oil in a saucepan and set over a medium high heat then you're going to come back after 10 minutes to your chicken you roll your chicken in corn flour make sure you coat them really very well indeed you need them nicely coated and then fry them off in, uh, in small batches and this is very important in the oil for about three minutes or until they are lightly brown okay don't put all your chicken in one pan at the same time because you will not get the crispiness you need. So fry them for about three minutes or until lightly brown in small batches. Set them aside on some kitchen towel to dry the oil off of them, to drain the oil away and then your chicken is ready. Then all you need to do is mix together the sugar, the vinegar, the chilli sauce, the ketchup, the soya sauce and the orange juice with a dash of salt and pepper in a saucepan over a medium heat. Stir it all around until the sugar has dissolved. Then get your chicken, single layer it on the prepared baking tray and pour the sauce over then all you have to simply do is stick it in the oven for an hour until the chicken is nice and brown and crispy turning the chicken a few times during that hour of cooking you will have the most delicious sweet and sour indian chinese style chicken Sounds delightful. Absolutely beautiful. We'll put the recipe up with the actual quantities you require of each ingredient on the website go and check it out little bit of preparation to do beforehand with the chicken. It gets a little bit fiddly. You think, oh, I can't be bothered to fry these in batches. Trust me, it's well worth it. Actually, David, I'm getting totally confused there. It's not a manchi powder. There's no such thing as that. I'm getting confused with the artist Avicii. Uh, it's actually Amchor powder, Amchor powder, which is a mango powder, a dry mango powder that you obviously sprinkle on the top. You can get it from most big supermarkets or from an international food store. If you can't find it, don't worry so much about it. You could, if you wanted to, sprinkle a little bit of lime on there um, to give it that kind of citrusy flavour. But uh, don't worry too much about it um, if you can't find it, like I say. And uh, you'll enjoy it because it's absolutely delicious. Let us know if you make it at home. And uh, we look forward to hearing your thoughts. This sound means it's now time for anger management. This is the section of the show where we tell you what's been getting on our nerves this week. What's been getting on my nerves is TV programmes that feel the need to tell people that they've been sticking to social distances and social bubbles when recording a show. No one cares. They do that a lot, It drives they? me mad. We trust you enough. We don't care. Nobody cares. That's been getting on my nerves. What, what annoys me is when you see... I mean, obviously, all politicians are being asked questions about the, the, what, a, what is a very serious um, state of affairs we're in. And they cannot answer the question that is given directly to them. 
I, I know this has been going on for years, but it's really frustrating now. Have a listen to this from Yes Minister. You know, I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> In that case, Minister, could we have an answer? Uh, well, yes, of course. <laughs> Just about to give you one, if I may. Uh, as I was saying, I'm glad you asked me that question because... Well, because it's a question that a lot of people are asking. And why? Because, well, because a lot of people want to know the answer to it. And let's be quite clear about this without beating about the bush. The plain fact of the matter is that it is a very important question indeed. And people have a right to know. But, Minister, you haven't given me an answer yet. I'm sorry, what was the question? You're listening to the Overboard Podcast with David and Ben. Now it's time for Etymology Corner. We look into a well-known phrase and give you the reason behind it. Now this week, a feather in one's cap... What does it mean? A symbol of honour and achievement to have a feather in one's cap. The origin of the phrase, the placing of a feather in a hat has been a symbol of achievement that has arisen in several cultures, apparently independently. The English writer and traveller Richard Hansard recorded it in his description of Hungary in 1599. It hath been an ancient custom among them, the Hungarians, that none should wear a feather but he who had killed a Turk, to whom was lawful to show the number of his slain enemies by the number of feathers in his cap. Brilliant, Dave. The Four Adventures of Cornflake. Clue number three, then. The city's Ritz-Carlton Hotel is home to one of the most expensive suites in the world. The room, designed by Frank Nicholson, costs 15,500 great British pounds per night. Where is Cornflake? You're listening to the Overboard Podcast with David and Ben. So there we go then, three clues down from Cornflake and one more to go. But now, David, it's a very exciting moment here on the Overboard Podcast because we move into yet another new feature, which is Two Days and One City. Now, we spoke about this at the end of uh, last season. Our new feature for this year will see, our well, some of our listeners, in fact, telling us all about their cities and what we should get up to if we had the opportunity to spend two days in them. This week, I'm delighted to say that our first city is the wonderful Palmer, of course, located on the island of Mallorca, and our good friend David Parker tells us all about it. Best way to get around the city. To get around the city is bike hire. And there it is a similar like you have in London, the Boris Bike Scheme. You can sign up online and rent a bike and cycle down all the neat little lanes. And there is a cycle path that goes for, we must go around 30 kilometers all the way along the coasts. uh, And it's unobstructed with other roads. So it's a great way, not just to see the city, but to see the coastline as well. What is the currency? Well, the currency is euros. Best Best place to eat on a budget. Well, the best place to eat on a budget would be the area around Cal Manacor, the road called Manacor. There are so many great little quaint, authentic Latin American places that you can see. If you're looking for somewhere on a budget towards the eastern part of the cities where you're going to find the best places to do that. Three sites we must see. Castle Belvere. 
It's a bit of a classic, but you can walk up to the castle from downtown. It'll take you around 30, 40 minutes. Incredible view overlooking all of the city centre itself. Next would be the bars in an area called Santa Catalina, Friday and Saturday night, really happening. Must go there if you're here over at the weekend. And lastly, of course, is the cathedral. Cathedral took, I think, around uh, 80 years to build a truly impressive site um, and is the one iconic image for all of Palma. Best place to drink. Best place to drink. It's a bar called Coco Bar and it's about a mile to the east of the city center. It's right on the beachfront, overlooks this charming little bay that's full of families and a great way to watch the sunset. One place, one place to, avoid. to avoid. A place I would avoid or places I would avoid would be any of the cafes in front of the cathedral, charge an exorbitant amount of money for taking just a coffee. So venture a little further in to the city centre and you'll get a much cheaper coffee and a much better service as well. Best place to shop. The best place to shop would be Market Olivar. Get there in the morning, nice and early. It's a fish market. Don't go on a Monday because the fishermen don't go out fishing on a Sunday. So the fresh fish will be from Tuesday through till Saturday. Plus you'll get some great bargains or your fresh vegetables like you'd see in any market. A great place to go and actually stay there and enjoy some oysters and champagne at one of the stalls as well. Where to hang out with celebrities? Well this has to be a bar called 49 Steps. Now this is just in front of the cathedral, right in the middle of the harbour. And you can sit there and it's called 49 Steps because you have to walk up 49 steps to get there. But you can sit there overlooking the yachts and the private boats belonging to all the rich and famous. Great views as well. The price of a sandwich, drink and crisps around five to six euros, depending where you are. If you're sat in front of the cathedral or any of the major tourist attractions, that's probably going to double. Any naughty words we should know. Well, not quite a, a naughty word, but certainly something that you don't want to hear. If you're driving along in your hire car or you one of those tourists that's walking along the street and they stop and take photos and calls a hold up. You don't want the locals to be calling you a giri. A giri is the name they give to tourists who walk around very slowly eating ice cream. Best way to spend a lazy Sunday afternoon. Well, the best way to spend a lazy Sunday afternoon, certainly if it's in the summer, and the summer here is long. So the summer is end of March through to the beginning of November, the beach. Best place to party. The best place to party for me is a small club called the Maraca Club and it's in the north of the city centre. It's impossible to find. It's built just through a small doorway in the bottom of a housing estate. You go inside and you have to knock on another door. And then once you get down two levels of stairs, it's a great jazz bar that also turns into a nightclub afterwards. For me, it's unknown. Google it, you'll find it. The Maraca Club in the north of Parma. Why we should spend 48 hours in your city? Well, the reason I would spend 48 hours in Parma is that it's just around two hours from every major international airport in Europe. Easy to get to. You could arrive on the Friday morning, leave on the Sunday afternoon, evening, and get a full day's sightseeing. And on all of those days, so very convenient to get to. And the airport is literally 10 minutes drive from downtown. So very easy to get in and out. An ideal present to bring back from your city. Uh, the best present to take back from here in Mallorca, in Parma, would be an ensamelada. These are pastry 
dishes. You can buy them at the airport or in town or any of the bakeries in the city centre. Uh, they're pre-boxed. That's why it's worth getting at the airport and it's a nice little souvenir. They taste very delicious, covered in powdered sugar and a great item to take home and, uh, and show what a wonderful weekend you've had in Palma de Mallorca. Sum up your city in three words. It's a very international city, not just other Europeans, German, Swedish, but there's a lot of South Americans that live here as well. It's a sea city. So sea or coastal would be the word because so much of the trade and industry relates to the sea or the ocean. A lot of ocean going cruise ships come into town, plus one of the largest private yacht harbors in Europe. The last word would be unexpected, I guess, because so many people come here and go to Magaluf or any of the party areas or coastal towns and don't get to see what an incredibly charming city Parma itself is. So my answers would be international, coastal, and unexpected. That's fantastic. It's lovely to hear David's voice. Brilliant. Again. I love Palmer. Do you like Palmer? I thought you were going to say I love Parker. I love Parker as well, but I love Palmer. I love Parker <laughs> and Palmer. I love Parker and Palmer. <laughs> Parker yeah. and Palmer. The Bar Adventures of Cornflake. So this is it then, your fourth and final clue in the further adventures of Cornflake this evening. Vending machines are available in the city, roughly located at every 12 metres in distance, making it the vending machine capital of the world. You can buy anything from hamburgers to clothes, sweets to cold drinks, milk packs to ice cream. The list literally goes on. So then, I pose the question, Mr David Morgan, where in the world is Cornflake this evening? Oh, I think he's a bit further afield than usual. Um, I've got an idea but uh, we'll find out next week. Well, that's about it for this week, Benjamin. Uh, I would like to thank our contributors, as always, Darren Collins, Mattis van Dort, Oliver Dayak, the Overboard team, and, of course, the Palmer Parker, David Parker, as well. I was on the Chit Chat Show last week, chat show that's on every Friday at 8 o'clock with Susie, Claire and Liz. Check it out. If you're enjoying the shows, please subscribe through your listening platform. This way it will download ready for you. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Anchor and, and many more as well that I haven't written down on this piece of paper. Uh, spread the word if you like the show. Let everybody know. Maybe share it on your Facebook page encourage people to listen to it we've got a wonderful listenership let's keep on growing the community and please contact us let us know what you think suggest items to cover people to interview questions to ask on polls interact with us our website is over-board.com board spelt b-o-r-e-d on facebook it's at overboard podcast all one word uh, overboard spelt o-v-e-r-b-o-r-e-d and on twitter at Overboard5, again, board spelt B-O-R-E-D. That's about it, then. Um, it's been a pleasure. Welcome back to the series, Benjamin, and it's time for you to say goodnight. 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 Any views or opinions represented in this podcast are personal and do not represent those of people, institutions or organisations that contributors may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity. The contributors to the podcast make no representations as to the accuracy or completeness of any information on the podcast or any site found by following any links discussed within.